Well, we're pleased now to be joined by friend of the show, Adam McClintock, and he's better known as the CFB Professor. You can give him a follow. He's a must-follow on Twitter, at CFB underscore Professor. And I highly recommend all the listeners go to his Patreon page, patreon.com, same as the Twitter, slash CFB underscore Professor. Adam, thanks for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Well, we were just joking uh, right before we started recording. I mean, this is the time of year where, you know, everyone's throwing out their projections and uh, looking ahead to the coming season now with spring football behind us. So, you know, for the listeners that maybe aren't familiar with uh, your background and, and everything you're doing on your Patreon page, could you could you give just a little information on uh, your analytics? And and I, I really like the fact that, uh, you know, these are not your opinions this is all based on your model. So could you explain that for us? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, when I started this, I started this about 15 years ago. And um, what I wanted to do is I wanted to come up with a way that you could predict not only college football seasons, but college football games from a spread standpoint, from a, from a record standpoint, um, just completely unbiasedly with numbers. Um, and over, you know, the process of 15 years, I've, I've, I've been able to do that, uh, refine, refine my process and do that pretty well. I'm up to, usually it's about 75 to 76% um, correct. Um, it, it uses five basic principles. It uses um, uh, returning talent, uh, returning, uh, returning starters, a little bit of returning experience. Returning experience isn't as big a deal as some people make it, but it, it does you know, factor in a little bit. I use coach efficiency numbers, which I, I, I go play-by-play. Play. I have a database that goes back to 2008, uh, cataloging every single play, every single coach is called. Um, that's how I come up with my coach ratings. Um, also, a little bit of home field, and, 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 and that's, that's really about it. It's, it's not, not overcomplicated at all. Yeah, and that uh, over 70% hit rate, you're not even talking about week-to-week week you're making these predictions. You've already made them, so based on the model, which you can find at uh, Patreon page underscore CFB underscore professor, where I've got the 2021 college football analytics spring preview. So that's kind of what I'm referencing. And I recommend all y'all go out there and subscribe to Adam's Patreon account so you can get, you know, a full in-depth, not only on the SEC, but the entire college football landscape. And one team I really wanted to ask you about, you know, the they're very popular in the analytics community, and that's Mississippi State. And you've got them listed as one of your more, most volatile team projections. Can you explain why Mississippi State is uh, is volatile in uh, based on your analytics? Yeah, I mean it's 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 year two of of Mike Leach. It's really year one and a half because can we really count last year as a full year? I know there there wasn't full spring, there wasn't full you know so. Um, it's so it's a little bit of of returning uh, production numbers aren't quite what they might be with a full season so that's what the model is seeing there also um while you know the model loves mike leach it's, it has him I, I believe as the fourth best coach in the entire conference and that says quite a bit coming from the mm-hmm. sec um it, it it just kind of it doesn't really know what to think of zach Arnett yet he had a decent year last year um, his first year in the SEC, but but it's it's only one year of him, and and the model isn't really quite sure what to make of him yet. The record ceiling I have for uh, Mississippi State is nine and three, 
So, you know, I have them going three and three in toss-up games. So that if the ball bounces right, they could have a, a much better year than on what I'm showing at right now. But right now it's, it's kind of a six and six, and um, which I think I think people in Starkville, especially with with the type of system change that Mike Leach had to do coming in in, in year one, year one and a half here, um, I think that would be something that they could get excited about. Yeah, and in your spring preview, so you kind of reference it there. You know, you give. Uh rankings a number ranking for a lot of the coaches and you give a, a letter grade for all the coaches as well and I'm glad you hit on Zach Arnett there because that's one of the biggest ones that jumps out to me you got him as a D plus but is that more of a factor of uh, I believe your model states you really need at least three years before you can give a guy a grade is that kind of why you've got Zach Arnett based on your model at uh, such a low low grade there yeah, that's just a lack of data. It, it, I don't consider the grades to be solid until after three years of data is, is logged, so going into their fourth year. So anything, um, what, any coach that is, is less experienced than three years in, in any system anywhere calling plays, the grade is somewhat fluid. So you can kind of take that with a grain of salt right now. Here in two years, we'll know more about who Zach Arnett is from an analytical, stand, an analytical standpoint anyway. Well, speaking of grades, I really wanted to ask you about Kirby Smart because a lot of people, you know, I think most of the Bulldog fans are, you know, they believe in the guy. They think he's going to deliver them a national championship. But I think a lot of the rest of the SEC, they doubt whether he can get it done. But according to your model, he's an A-minus coach, same as Jimbo Fisher. So what's your confidence level in the A-minus grade you've got for Kirby Smart, which is, which is one of the better ones in the SEC? Yeah, Kirby Smart, you know, he, he does what he's supposed to do with the talent he has. If you notice, he's not getting upset very many times by teams he's, he's not supposed to get upset by when, when, when the games matter. Um, he's, he's losing to Alabama. He's losing to, you know, uh, teams in the playoffs. If he, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not losing. He's not going out and losing to Vanderbilt on some off night or, or, or something like that. So Kirby Smart, his deal and, and what my model shows about his team so far is he somewhat shackles his offensive play callers. uh, If you look at the uh, coordinator, the the defensive play caller and offensive play caller rankings I have for the the SEC, Kirby Smart is rated as the best defensive play caller in the SEC, okay, because he is is calling the plays in in Georgia. Don't don't be fooled. Um, The offensive play caller, Todd Monken, comes in at ninth, and some of that – isn't necessarily on Todd Monken. I'm not really for sure how much he was able to open the offense up last year at the beginning of the year anyway. And some of that has to do with, with Kirby Smart being a defensive conservative mind, um, you know, wanting to play defense, uh, not make mistakes on offense. And some of that might have been who they had at quarterback at the beginning of the year too last year. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll know more about Todd Monken's offense in, in Georgia this year when they start out with I believe JT Daniels is going to start there this year. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what uh, what his offense looks like, and if, if Kirby Smart allows him to to open things up a little bit. And if and if, if he does, Georgia can have a great season. And if he doesn't, then you're gonna you're gonna get the same old 11 win season and cl- get close, but just not quite get over the hump. Yeah, I'm glad you referenced uh, Todd Monk and the offensive coordinator there because you know everything you just laid out. He's another one you probably don't have a ton of data on, and. They made this quarterback switch late in the season. Is there anything in your model that suggests that, uh, you know, if everything goes according to plan, is there anything that suggests that Todd Munkin's not good enough to 
help Georgia win the national championship that uh, has been elusive to that fan base for so long? Well, since I've been doing this, um, and especially in the playoff era, let's, let's highlight the playoff era because that's, that's, that's where we're at still. The uh, uh, team has not won a national title with a coordinator um, with, a, with, a, with a grade C, uh, um, B, B minus or below. So Todd Monken, right now it's saying he's not quite good enough to get them over the top to win the national title this year. Now, um, that, that's going with, with, with coordinators that, are, that I have enough data on to give it a solid grade. So I have six years of data on Todd Monken. So that grade of, of, a, C, of, a, of a C is, is, is pretty solid for him. That is kind of who he is. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I guess there, there is a first time for everything. Um, um, uh, Auburn won a national title with, with one of the, the, the worst coaching staffs <laughs> in the, uh, in, in, in the modern championship era, you know, that was because of a guy named Cam Newton. So players can't over, overcome that at some point in time, but it's, 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 it's a rarity for, for somebody like Todd Monken to, uh, to, to push his team over the top. Now, one guy that uh, I hear from this fan base more than any other, that I don't give him enough credit, and your model suggests that's probably true, Eli Drinkowitz, A-minus grade, according to your analytics. Why is the model so high on Missouri's head coach? Well, and, and some of that is, you know, he's, this is his, I think he's in his third year currently as being a head coach, so some of that is lack of data. And some of that data is coming from Appalachian State, where he, you know, wasn't um, facing the same competition he is now in the SEC. He wasn't experiencing some of the same um, roster talent discrepancies between his roster and and the roster of that of the teams in his conference. So some of that has some leveling back out to do. I, I do think he is a good coach. He is doing things. You know, he is he is winning um, um, winning five six games a year with. With a, with, with a roster that has uh, one, one of the least amounts of roster talent in, in the whole SEC. I think, I, actually, I think they are second to last in the SEC in roster talent. So he's doing more with his roster than he probably should. Uh, I have Missouri projected right now to go 8-4 this year, and if he's able to do that with that roster and in that division in this conference, then that's, that's worthy of an A-minus grade. Now, let me ask you about Tennessee's hire there, Josh Heupel, which I think a lot of Tennessee fans would be surprised to find out that, uh, according to your analytics, similar grade. Now, I assume a lot of the same applies to Josh Heupel previously at uh, UCF. Now he's at a much tougher division, but you got him as an A-. minus. So uh, based on that letter grade, I would assume that you think Tennessee made a, a good hire here with Josh Heupel. Yeah, especially considering the circumstances which Tennessee's working with. You know, are there sanctions coming? Are there not? You know, they had a bunch of players bail. Um, Josh Heupel is is a solid coach. He's he's going to come in and he's he's going to do things right. He's not going to get you in any, in any more trouble. Um, the thing about Josh Heupel is, in what I've seen with him, and I think Missouri fans would would maybe agree with this is. He likes to run up tempo to the point where it's almost a detriment to his own defense. So he has to find a defensive coordinator, this new defensive coordinator, this new defensive coordinator that they've hired. Um, he is going to have to be able to handle facing, you know, 80, defending 80 plays a game in the SEC. That's that's tough to do. And if you remember back to when he was in Missouri, the offenses at Missouri were were good, 
Um, but it came at the, the, the detriment of his defense at times. You know, Barry Odom kind of suffered the consequences for that. So, it, you know, you're, you're going to have to outscore a lot of teams, especially in, in the first year or so until, until that uh, defensive coordinator that he's hired, Tim Banks, is able to uh, to, to, to come along and, and, and maybe – um, get his feet wet in the SEC and learn how to to be a defensive coordinator, defending that many plays week in and week out. Now, let me ask you about. Uh, I consider this guy a wild card just because I didn't follow much of his career at uh, Boise State, but uh, Auburn's first year head coach Brian Harson. You got him as a B grade, and you know that's not a bad grade by any means. But uh, I, I thought it might be a little bit higher, but maybe that's a factor of being at Boise. He was probably had a lot better talent than a lot of the competition he was going up against so what are your thoughts on uh, Auburn's new head coach Brian Harson? I like I like the hire that Auburn made and, and you're absolutely right the reason his grade isn't, isn't, isn't sky high as some of the other ones are is, is because he had a massive talent advantage at Boise State over the rest of Mountain West massive I mean it's it was um you think about Ohio State over the Big Ten or, or Clemson over over the ACC um, it was even more of, of a big gap than that. Um, so he he is he was used to at Boise State having the upper hand on, in roster talent week in and week out. Um, where I think uh, Auburn fans need to be really excited is who they picked up a defensive coordinator. I love the Derek Mason hire. Um, he he he's a great defensive coordinator. He was at Stanford. The first couple of years at Vanderbilt when he called defenses there were, were good for the talent discrepancy that he was facing. Um, and also, they, 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 were, they were able to pull Mike Bobo, who is also a, a proven offensive coordinator in the SEC. So I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about that staff to see what they, what they can get done there um, and, 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 you know, on the planes. Now, I know this uh, – you just made me think of something. I wasn't prepared to ask you this, but – because I don't really know there's any way you could uh, calculate this, but do you give any kind of, uh, you know, favoritism to someone that maybe has experience within the league? Like you just referenced Derek Mason, Mike Bobo, SEC veteran coaches, now helping a, uh, a first-year uh, head coach in the SEC. Is, uh, is that something that you ever think about, or is that maybe just doesn't equate in your, uh, your model here? Um, in a roundabout way, it does because you're, those um, those coaches are used to facing the amount of, of roster talent in the SEC, so that is kind of baked into into their grade and in, in, into their rating, um, depending on where they're at. Let's say we went from Alabama to 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 Vanderbilt, it might not it might not work in their favor. But but uh, for example, Derek Mason was at Vanderbilt, where the roster talent is, is routinely in, in the bottom one or bottom two. And he, at least at first, his his defenses were, were pretty competitive at Vanderbilt when he was calling the defenses. So um, that is, is something that will, that will bump that grade up quickly. Mike Bobo, the same thing at South Carolina. South Carolina uh, has a little bit less roster talent than Auburn does compared to the rest of the SEC. And Mike Bobo was able to to uh, to do some 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 good things there. Also, when he was at Georgia before, so. Um, he he has experience with the amount of roster talent he's going to be he's going to have at his disposal, as well as as uh, as those he'll, he'll be facing week in and week out. So that does kind of in a roundabout way bake in, into the uh, the coach's uh, grade and ratings. Now, when I had you on last year, I think the biggest complaint I got was from Kentucky fans. Is 
this grade you've given Mark Stoops, uh, he's a C. I mean, it's not terrible or anything, but why does your model hate Mike or Mark Stoops here? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you think about Kentucky and, you know, they're, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're doing things that, that Kentucky fans are, 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 are proud of, but they have the 29th rated roster talent, right? Um, and they're still going six and six, seven and five, eight and four, you know, in that range. He he usually has as much talent, maybe not more talent than than, than the teams he's facing, and he's he's winning about half half his games and worth half his games. So to me, that that sounds about like an average coach, and that's what the that's what the model also sees as well as just an average coach at at a C level. And if he was in any other conference. If he was in the ACC, if he was in even the Big 12, maybe um, he like, his, his rating within the conference might be higher. But but the SEC is an incredibly well coached conference, and average is going to end up probably at the bottom of that heap more often than not. Now I wanted to ask you about uh, Ole Miss defensive coordinator DJ Durkin. I was surprised. You know he's got a pretty solid grade here, B minus. Uh, he's a former head coach here at Maryland, and I believe he was a defensive coordinator at Florida. And we all know Ole Miss defense was a disaster last year, but defense was just down across the SEC, and Ole Miss doesn't have a ton of talent to work with, or at least they didn't inherit a lot. So uh, your model must seem pretty high on uh, DJ Durkin there. You think the he'll be able to improve that defense this year? Well, that's 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 the uh, another thing about um, what goes into my model is it also looks at what we, what we call pace pairing. Okay. And pace pairing is um, certain defensive coordinators are better when they're facing a certain amount of plays per, per game. And that pace is usually dictated by their own offensive coordinator. So if their own offensive coordinator wants to pick things up and, and, and run pace, it usually affects their defensive coordinator in a way that, that they're going to have to spend more plays just be just, you know, uh, from all the free and outs and all the quick scoring that, the other, that their own offense is doing. DJ, DJ Durkin is best and he's, defending a, um, uh, a small amount of plays. Like we're, we're, we're talking uh, in the 65, 68 play per game range. That's not what Lane Giffen likes to do. He likes to push it a little bit. And, he, and so it it raises the, name, the, the number of plays that DJ Durkin is having to defend. This is something I talked about last year when he made it higher. I said I liked DJ Durkin as a, you know, standalone defensive coordinator, maybe for Wisconsin or maybe for, for somebody who like that who's going to play ball control, but I don't. I didn't like him paired with Lane Kiffin because of the pace pairing wasn't right at all, and I I thought that his defenses would fall apart, and that kind of showed itself to be true last year. And, and unless Lane Kiffin slows his offense down a little bit and, and gets down into that sweet spot for where DJ Durkin is, is is best efficiently calling his defenses, then they're going to struggle on defense again this year. So um, while it has him rated high. Keep in mind that that's that's when he's in a sweet spot, you know, defending only 65 to 68 plays per game. Now, one coaching staff you don't have a lot of data on. Again, you need multiple seasons to, you know, have an accurate number here. But uh, Shane Beamer, first-year coach, uh, the offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield, not a ton on him. But you do have a grade on Clayton White, the defensive coordinator, a B minus, uh, formerly of uh, Western Kentucky. So. Uh, your model must think that he's a pretty good coach. What what do you think South Carolina's getting in uh, defensive coordinator Clayton White? Well, I, I like Clayton White. He was one of the better uh, G5 defensive coordinators the past few years at Western Kentucky. Um, 
you know, uh, it, it remains to be seen whether he's ready to, to make that jump up to, to, to SEC level of competition. But, but um, I do, if they were going to go out and hire somebody um, from the G5 ranks, Clayton White was, wasn't a, a, a bad hire for them at all. Um, I'm not so certain. I, I know they were kind of put in a situation where they thought Mike Bobo was going to stay for a little while and they had to turn around and make a quick hire um, after he left for Auburn. So I'm not real, th- I'm not real um, um, high on Marcus Satterfield and what their offense is going to be able to do maybe. But um, I think Clayton White was a, a solid hire. You know, B minus, you know, it's, it's, it's just above average. So, so I, I think uh, uh, it, was, it was a solid enough hire at South Carolina. Let's just see what their offense can get done on the other side of the ball. Now, I wanted to ask you about uh, the the Alabama coordinators. How do they match Pete Golding? You got, you got a pretty solid B on him, and then of course uh, Bill O'Brien, the former NFL coach. What are your thoughts on on that hire? See, Bill O'Brien is kind of a um, it's kind of an, an, an enigma there because he was at Penn State when Penn State was on all about probation, right? Mm-hmm. He called the plays at Penn State, um, and the data on him shows I have two years of data on him as a play caller, and he, he got around a D grade, but but he didn't really have a lot to work with at the time at Penn State. Then he went off to the NFL, and he you know, which is a different game. It's it's becoming more and more similar to to the way the colleges ran, especially somewhere like Alabama. But but um, um, really, as long as Nick Saban is a, is, a, is head of that ship. Um, it hasn't really mattered who's calling plays on offense. <laughs> They're going to play good defense. They're going to play good special teams. And and uh, the last couple of years, they've been able to outscore you as well with, with, with some of the talent they've had. Um, I don't expect to see anything much different with Bill O'Brien in place. He, I don't think he, he's going to be quite as explosive as Steve Sarkeesian or, or Lane Kiffin was or you know some of these past few ones have been. But I think he'll be plenty explosive enough to be able to to, to get Alabama where, where they're wanting to go. Now, what about the staff that uh, Sam Pittman's put together here with uh, Barry Odom and Kendall Bryles? You know, I was hyping that up as as one of the best coordinator duos in the SEC last year, and I think they lived up to the hype. Uh, what did you think about uh, uh, their first season together there at Arkansas? Oh, uh, we're we're tracking right along on on that. That's. That was one of the, the, the staffs I was the most excited about last year when, when when they made that hire. I actually gave that whole hiring process of a B plus, which I don't give out very many of those. Um, Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom, they 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 fit well in in, in, in their, their their pace um, pace pairing. Um, Kendall Bryles is a very successful offensive coordinator. He's been a lot of places. Um, He's he's been proven, you know, to, to to be able to win with talent, without talent, against talent, you know, against no talent. It hasn't mattered. He he's been effective. Um, Barry Odom, much much of the same way. He had that stint in Missouri where his defenses were kind of um, being worn out by Josh Heupel's play calling. But but uh, taking that away, he's he's still a very very solid defensive coordinator. So, and you saw Arkansas was much more competitive last year in in, in a lot of games. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see where the staff takes them. Um, I think, uh, you know, I live close to Fayetteville, so it's, it's always more fun for me in college football when, when, when the Hogs are, are competitive. All right, last thing for you, Adam. I just wanted to ask you about uh, the teams you've got listed as playoff contenders from the SEC, and this is based on talent, of course, and uh, the, the strength of schedule, and, and I assume coaching as well. Of course, you got Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, 
Auburn, which I thought was a surprise, and Florida, but not LSU. So give, give us a quick thoughts on those teams and, and why LSU didn't make the cut for you. Yeah, I mean, um, the first you know, the first five teams you mentioned, are Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, Auburn, and Florida, they all have the talent profile that you need to get in. And along with that, they also have their coaching staffs, their, their, their collective efficiency between the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the defensive coordinator. Um, they, they, they fit in a way that, that puts them in a position historically to, to, to fit a pro, the, the profile of, of a playoff team. Um, all of those teams re- return and enough pieces in order to make a run, um, the- theoretically, with, with what has happened in, in the past. Um, LSU, you know, Ed Orgeron, he, he rolled the, the coordinator dice and, and came up sevens with, with uh, uh, you know, Joe Brady and, and having Dave Aranda there at the same time. Um, he kind of played that roulette again. I don't think he, he, it'd be awful lucky if, if he hit sevens again on, on his new coordinators. Um, neither one of them has, has, has called a play um, in the past 15 years at the college level. Uh, it's an awful tough place to cut your teeth at <laughs> the SEC, um, especially with the type of talent that he's losing at LSU off of the last, you know, last year's team and even the year before. So um, LSU, they, they might be taking a step or two back, um, and, and, and the model kind of, kind of reflects that as well. All right, Adam, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and dropping all this information. And uh, like I said, I encourage everybody to head on over to Adam McClintock's Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash CFB underscore professor. His uh, 2021 preview season uh, previews up to 174 pages. You can get that information and a ton more over at his Patreon page. Thanks again, Adam. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Mike, for having me on. Let's, let's, Ray, Ray, Ray for a normal football season. All right, guys, so I hope you guys appreciated that information from Adam. I thought there was some outstanding stuff, and like I said, you've got to check out his Patreon. does a deep dive on every team in the country. Get your information on your SEC teams and who they're playing this upcoming season. So a wealth of knowledge, and it only costs like 2 bucks a month. I mean, hell, that's less than a cup of coffee. So head on over to his patreon page you can find that information in the show notes if you're interested really appreciate him hopping on the line and some interesting comments here i just remember kentucky fans getting fired up last season at that grade i think tennessee fans are really going to appreciate the fact that he thinks so highly of josh heupel missouri fans are going to be filling up my mentions calling me an idiot got missouri pretty low in my power rankings currently but Probably doing them a disservice as well. But once again, just want to thank Adam for hopping on the line. All right, guys. So, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. And uh, don't forget, we got the call in line. And this is the perfect time, the off season. Give us a call. You got a question for the show or anything, really. Story idea, topic idea, whatever you got. 615-800-5683. Give us a ring there. Be featured on the podcast. And as always, if you made it this far, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcasts app, and we'll trade you a beer koozie of your choice just for doing that. Just send those on over to thatsecpodcast at gmail.com. And hell, if, uh, if you guys like YouTube, we're on YouTube as well, trying to get more subscribers on the YouTube page. So just look us up, that SEC Podcast on YouTube. That's going to be a big platform for us 
this fall. We're going to have a ton of video content and stuff like that. So uh, hit us up on YouTube. We appreciate each and every one of those. But that's going to do it. Thanks for stopping in. Catch you on the next one.